do we see church membership in the Bible? Do we see it as a biblical concept, as a theological concept? But I just want to give you a roadmap before we get started on how the second hour will proceed today. So in the first part of the second hour, I will go over the case for church membership for about 45 minutes. And then the last 10 or 15 minutes, Francis is actually going to come up and review Cornerstone Bible Church's church membership covenant, the church membership covenant that we all agreed to when we became members, essentially. And this you can look at as something of a membership covenant, maybe a covenant reminder, a covenant renewal. In fact, the concept of a covenant renewal is very biblical. We find it in the Old Testament all over the place. Actually, there is one specific book of the Old Testament, which in and of itself is a covenant renewal or a covenant reminder. And that is the book of Deuteronomy. So Deuteronomy, meaning literally second law, it's not the greatest name for the book, but it is a recounting or a reminder of the Mosaic law in a series of five sermons preached by Moses before Israel entered the promised land. He renewed the covenant with Israel. So we already see an entire book of the Old Testament as a covenant renewal. So there's biblical precedent for what we will be doing here today when Francis comes up towards the end of our second hour and reviews our membership covenant with us. So that's the roadmap for this morning. And I think the worksheets going around as well as the membership covenant. And before we get started, why don't I open us in a word of prayer? Would you bow your heads with me? Father who's in heaven, we love because you first loved us. We love you because you first loved us. This is how we know that we have passed from death into life. Not only that we love you, but that we love the brethren, that we love your disciples that we love our fellow disciples, that we love the church. So Lord, as we discuss biblical church membership here this morning, may you help us to see that it is rooted in a love for you, first and foremost, and in a love for our neighbor. Lord, help us to see how you have loved us, we ought to love one another. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Several years ago, Olivia and I had the opportunity to visit Rome, Italy. One of my most enduring memories of my visit to Rome was the Roman catacombs. The Roman catacombs were the underground tunnels dug by the early church as they fled from persecution. They are catacombs because this is where the early church buried their dead. Roman law did not allow or permit burial within its city limits. And the early Christians did not believe in cremation, so they went outside the city walls to bury their dead underground. To visit the catacombs, you go outside the city walls of Rome to a grassy field seemingly in the middle of nowhere. And you find dug into the ground a narrow staircase leading to even narrower passageways. And as you descend deeper and deeper into the catacombs, you begin to see graves that are dug into the walls of these tunnels. This is where our brothers and sisters used to bury their dead. And as you descend deeper and deeper through the tunnels, through the catacombs, you find rooms meeting rooms where the early church used to hold church services. This is the meeting place of the local church in Rome in the second century. This is the meeting place of the early church in Rome in the second century. This was the life of the early church. Our brothers and sisters in the second century met underground with their dead so that they would not be thrown to the lions in the Colosseum. 
And as I walked through these tunnels, two things occurred to me. The first is that these were our brothers and sisters risking their lives to go to church. Sunday after Sunday, week after week, Lord's Day after Lord's Day, they risked their lives to be a part of the local church. Believers in the second century, Christians in the second century, believed in the local church. The other thing that occurred to me was that Christians in the second century also believed in church membership. And you say, well, how's that now? Where did you get that? Well, obviously, the early church meeting in these underground tunnels, they would have known every single person who was allowed to enter the catacombs. They would have known the name of every single person walking those tunnels. Perhaps they did not have a biblical a church membership role or a list of the church members, but make no mistake about it, they knew the name of every single person who was allowed to enter the catacombs and worship with them. They believed in biblical church membership. Under such heavy persecution, they would have had to know who was inside the church and who was outside the church. Today, while church membership is yawned at, scoffed at, perhaps even reviled, it was not always so. In fact, throughout the history of the church, church membership has been a core belief of Christians everywhere. Augustine said, He cannot have God for his father, who does not have the church for his mother. Luther wrote, Apart from the church, salvation is impossible. Calvin, obviously borrowing from Augustine, said, To those to whom God is a father, the church must also be a mother. The Westminster Confession of Faith says, Outside of the visible church, there is no ordinary possibility of salvation. John Wesley said, There is nothing more unchristian than a solitary Christian. The reality is, is that he who loves Jesus Christ must love his church. He who loves the groom, Jesus Christ, ought to love the bride, Christ's church. Church membership is nothing fancy. The preface to Cornerstone Bible Church's membership covenant says this, having been brought by God's mercy, gracious mercy, to embrace the gospel and the Lord Jesus Christ in salvation, the members of Cornerstone Bible Church do solemnly and joyfully covenant to walk together, united in Christ as one body to his glory. Most basically speaking, church membership may be defined as a covenant to grow together in the grace and knowledge of God. I like to say about church membership that we are committed to one another in a covenant to help each other on the way to heaven. Now, I know that this term covenant is a bit of an archaic word, but I specifically use this word covenant because that's exactly what biblical church membership is. It is a covenant. A covenant is a commitment based on a relationship. A contract is different than a covenant. There is a difference between a covenant and a contract. A contract is a formal agreement. A contract is a commitment, just like a covenant, but a contract does not require a relationship. A few months ago, we hired someone to cut the big trees in our backyard that needed to be trimmed. So he knocked on our door, came into our backyard, cut the trees in our backyard, and we paid him the fee. We signed a contract saying this is what was going to be done and this is what we would pay. And once the contract was signed, once the work was over, we haven't seen him again. We never met him before. We may never even see him again, ever again. There is no relationship there. It does not require a relationship. There's no relationship before. There's no relationship after. That's a contract. But a covenant is different. 
Again, a covenant is a commitment which grows out of a relationship. The Baker Evangelical Dictionary of Biblical Theology defines a covenant as the binding or establishing a relationship between two parties. A covenant is a commitment based on relationship. It is a commitment based on intimacy. It is meant to establish a relationship and it grows out of a relationship. For instance, while the word covenant is not very commonplace today, the concept of it is. There is no greater example of a covenant than that of marriage. Marriage is a covenant that is entered into between a husband and wife who knowingly and lovingly agree to be in a binding relationship with one another. It is a formal declaration of commitment born out of a relationship. It establishes a relationship. There is a contract. There is a marriage license. When you get married, you do in fact sign a contract. But it is not just a contract. Marriage is a covenant, a commitment based on relationship. So when we say that church membership is a covenant, we mean that it is marked by the commitment, intimacy, and accountability of a true covenantal relationship. We don't just automatically make people members who walk off the street because we want a relationship with you. We want to get to know you. We want you to get to know us. We as a church want to be in a committed relationship with one another to help each other on the way to heaven. But nowadays, people wonder, is church membership really necessary? Is church membership really even helpful? Is church membership even biblical? And the argument goes is that the words church member or membership do not appear in scripture. And they would be right. Those specific words do not appear in scripture. But the argument is faulty. There are many concepts in scripture that while the word itself does not appear, the truth is clearly there. It is clear as day as long as we have the eyes to see. For instance, do you believe in the Trinity? Do you believe in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? Well, of course you do. The Trinity is one of the core beliefs that make us biblical Christians. But nowhere in the Bible will you ever find the term Trinity. Not a single page, not a single chapter, not a single verse. And yet we would never say that the Trinity is unbiblical. A few weeks ago, we saw another example of this. Do you believe in the mission of the church? Do you believe in missions? Do you believe in missionaries? Well, of course you do. And yet, if you scour the pages of scripture, you will never find a single verse that mentions the word mission. Now, this is to say a theological concept may be present in Scripture even if the specific word itself does not appear in Scripture. A biblical truth may be present in the Bible even if the word itself does not appear in the Bible. It is true that the Scriptures do not explicitly command Christians to join a local church membership. Rather, the Scriptures assume it. The scripture presupposes that all Christians are to be a part of the local church. The New Testament knows nothing of a Lone Ranger Christian. Even the Lone Ranger had Tonto. So this morning, I'd like to look at the biblical case for church membership. I'd like to give us six biblical evidence in the case for church membership. First, Church membership is the New Testament pattern. In the New Testament, we see several lines of evidence for church membership. 
first, the church could be numbered. It could be numbered. Church membership tells us who is in the world and who is in the church. It tells us who is in the church and who is not in the church. Throughout the Bible, God draws a clear line between those who are inside the community of believers and those who are outside. From the earliest days of the New Testament, the church could be numbered from the very beginning. Acts 2.41 says, So then, those who had received his word were baptized, and that day there were added about 3,000 souls. Acts 2.27, The Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Acts 4.4, The number of men came to be about 5,000. Now, these verses tell us that the early church knew exactly how many souls were in it. They could be counted. They could be numbered. The church knew who was in it. They had to. Perhaps it was because there were so many enemies on the outside. There was so much persecution on the outside that they had to have solidarity within. Perhaps we lack a commitment to church membership in our day because we are far too comfortable with our Southern California lives. Adversity has a way of purifying our commitment. Secondly, the church could be gathered together. Acts 14, 27, speaking of the church at Antioch. When they, the apostles, had arrived and gathered the church together. The church knew who to gather together because they knew who was in it. They knew who to call and text and email when the apostles arrived. Thirdly, the church could be called upon to select leaders from among itself. Acts 6, 2-3. So the twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, It is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we, we may put in charge of this task. Here, the congregation is being called together. And the congregation is called upon to select leaders from among itself. Now, this process only makes sense if they knew who was in the congregation. This process could only happen because they knew who was in the congregation. Fourthly, the church could be listed. Now, it is true that in the New Testament, there is no role or church directory. I'll give you that. But what we do see in many instances in the New Testament, for instance, Romans 16, 1 through 16, we have lists of specific believers in the church of Rome, name after name after name after name, specific names, proper names. How did Paul even know these names? Remember, Paul had never even been to the church in Rome. Paul had never even met these people. How did he know these names? Paul knew who to greet in the church because the church in Rome knew who was committed to the church in Rome. Therefore, Paul knew who was committed to the church in Rome. He knew who had made a visible covenant with the church. Eric Lane says, The church is not just a loose collection of individuals. It is a closely knit structure, like a human body, and is therefore to be rightly organized. For such ordering, it needs to know exactly who belongs to it. A family which sat down to its meal table or locked its doors at night, not knowing who was supposed to be there and who not, would be an extremely strange phenomenon. An army battalion, which did not know whom to expect on parade, would soon be in chaos. If the church is to be a true family, and an effective fighting force, it needs to know who exactly belongs to it. So without a doubt, the 
there is a clear biblical warrant in the pattern of the New Testament for church membership. Secondly, church membership is personified in the body of Christ. Beyond the pattern of the New Testament, the Bible gives us a theological reason for church membership. Church membership is rooted in a deep-seated, profound theological reality. The reality is this. You, O Christian, are in union with Jesus Christ. You are in union with Christ, your head. And you, O Christian, have been grafted into the body of Christ. Therefore, Church membership is a visible representation of our spiritual union with Christ. Just like baptism is an outward sign of an inward spiritual reality, so church membership is an outward sign of an inward spiritual reality. Baptism is a public profession of our faith in Christ, and church membership is a public profession of our union with Christ. Church membership is an outward representation of our inward spiritual union with Jesus Christ and his body. 1 Corinthians 12, 27 says, Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. We are members of the spiritual body of Christ, and therefore we ought to be members of the visible body of Christ, the local church. 1 Corinthians 12, 14 through 18 Paul says this, For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot says, because I am not a hand, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. And if the ear says, because I am not an eye, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body, just as he desired. Paul talks about how we are all members of the body of Christ. We are all parts of the body of Christ. You, O Christian, are not a body in and of yourself. You are a member of the body. You are a part of the body. And when members of the body are severed from the rest of the body, it's unnatural, it's painful, it's unhealthy. If your eye were to be plucked out, if your hand were to be cut off, if your foot were to be severed, you would say, that is unhealthy, that is painful, that is unnatural. You don't want parts of your body to be separated. You want parts of your body to be connected. So if you're a Christian and not a member of a local church, why would you want to be cut off? Why would you want to be severed? Why would you not want to be connected? John Piper says, the New Testament knows of no Christians who are not accountable members of local churches. Lone Ranger Christians are a contradiction because being a Christian means being united to Christ. And union with Christ expresses itself in union with a local body of believers. It seems to us that in the New Testament, to be excluded from the local church was to be excluded from Christ. Church membership is built into our union with Jesus Christ. It is a visible representation of our spiritual union with Christ and his body. Thirdly, church membership is necessary for church discipline. Church discipline presupposes church membership. Church discipline assumes church membership. Church discipline requires church membership. If you believe in church discipline, and you should, then you must believe in church membership. Matthew 18, 15 through 17, Jesus says this, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. 
But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. If there is no such thing as church membership, verse 17 makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. Jesus says, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. Tell who? Tell it to the universal church? Certainly not. Tell it to the local church. Tell it to the church members. Tell it to those who are committed to the church, those who are inside the church. Look, let's be real. Telling unrepentant sin to the church is a solemn, difficult occasion. It is a hard thing to do. It is hard. And it is even more difficult to imagine that you could just tell this person's unrepentant sin to anyone who happens to wander through the doors that day. That cannot be what Jesus means. So when Jesus says, tell it to the church, he must mean tell it to those who are in the local church. Tell it to the church members. Let's go a step beyond. The final step of church discipline, excommunication, the last resort, necessitates church membership. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, 11 through 13, but actually I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother if he is an immoral person or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or a swindler, not even to eat with such a one. Now listen closely, listen to the language. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Do you not judge those who are within the church? But those who are outside, God judges. Remove the wicked man from among yourselves. Notice the language. There is clearly a group inside the church and a group outside the church. There's clearly a group within the church and a group without the church. In Paul's mind, there is the local church and everyone else who is outside the local church. That much is clear. But then on top of that, Paul says, remove the wicked man from among yourselves. Some translations say, purge the wicked man from among yourselves. Now, the removal of this man assumes that there is public knowledge of those who are inside the church. If you can remove someone, he must have belonged in the first place. If you can purge someone, he must have been inside in the church place, in the first place. If you can purge someone, then there must be church membership. If there is no inside group, then you can't put them outside. If there is no such thing as church membership, then you cannot Remove him. What are you removing him from? Church discipline is built on the foundation of church membership. Fourthly, church membership is required for shepherding the flock. Now we could look at this from two lenses, two perspectives, two angles. We could look at it from the standpoint of the congregation, the church members. And we can look at it from the standpoint of its leaders. When we look at it from the standpoint of the congregation or the members, we speak primarily of submission. When we look at it from the standpoint of the leaders, we speak primarily of oversight. Let's look first from the standpoint of the congregation. Church membership is necessary because Christians are commanded to submit to pastors, elders, and leaders of their local church. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. 
1 Thessalonians 5, 12 through 13, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them as highly in love because of their work. If there is no such thing as church membership, how do Christians know who to submit to? Do you just submit your life to every church you walk into? If you're traveling somewhere and you just walk through the doors, do you just do exactly what they tell you to do? How do you know who to submit to? For instance, let's say hypothetically that a man named Jack goes to First Baptist Church of Fullerton for six months, but he never becomes a member. And then Jack goes to First Presbyterian Church of Fullerton for six months, and he never becomes a member. And then Jack goes to First Congregational Church of Fullerton for six months, but he never becomes a member. Who does Jack submit to? To which group of elders is he accountable? Whose instructions does he follow? The answer, the clear and obvious answer, is church membership. Jack is to commit himself to a church and submit to that local church's leaders. Now let's look at it from the standpoint of church leaders. Church leaders are responsible for keeping watch over the flock. Acts 20, 28 says, Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Just on a personal note, this text has always been very precious to me because this is the verse that was preached for my ordination sermon eight and a half years ago. The primary responsibility of an elder is to keep watch over his flock is to keep watch over the church of God. That's an elder's primary responsibility. But if there is no such thing as church membership, how does an elder know who to pastor? How does an elder know who to shepherd? If there is no such thing as church membership, then an elder would not even know who is in his flock. He would not know if he is responsible for those souls. 1 Peter 5, 2-3, says this even more clearly. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples for the flock. The phrase, those in your charge, is literally ton clairon in the Greek, your portion, your lot. It speaks of a God-ordained portion of believers who has been given to the oversight of this elder. It speaks of a God-appointed lot of believers who have been set apart under the oversight of this elder. Leaders can only shepherd the flock if they know who is in the flock. In order for an elder to effectively fulfill his calling, he must know who to shepherd. It is impossible for an elder to fulfill his calling if he does not know who is in his flock. Fifthly, church membership is a witness to the world. Our commitment to the local church is not just for our benefit. It's not just for the benefit of believers. It is for the benefit of the world. When we love the church, the world knows that we love Jesus. John 13, 35 says, By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. When you love the church, when you are committed to the church, the world knows that you are committed to Jesus. Well, then you say, well, I can, I can love the brethren, I can love the disciples, I can love the church without being a member of the church. But what is love without commitment? Is that not what biblical love is? Biblical love is a commitment. That is how we define biblical love. That is the defining feature of biblical love. How can you love 
without being committed. Eric Lane compares the believer's relationship to the church with a couple who refuses to marry. Lane says, they have only thought of themselves and not of the society of which they are a part. Marriage is a public affair because however private a matter individuals may think it to be, other members of the community have a right to know who belongs to whom and who is whose wife or husband. A society in which everyone behaved as this couple would would be, sheer, would be sheer chaos. How will the world know you are a disciple of Christ? By your commitment of love to the local church. Now earlier we mentioned that it's important for us as Christians to know who is inside the church and who is outside the church. But again, it's not just for our benefit, it is also for the benefit of the world. It is important for the world to know who is a Christian, who is a member, and who is not a member. Listen, I want everybody to attend Cornerstone Bible Church. Of course, as long as they are not causing harm to the body, as long as they are not causing a ruckus in the church, we have a responsibility to protect the sheep as well. But given that, again, I need to make that clear, as long as they are not causing harm to the body, I want all sorts of people who are struggling with all sorts of sin, all sorts of unbelievers, to attend Cornerstone Bible Church. Thieves, prostitutes, adulterers, I want them to come and hear the gospel so that they can be saved, as long as they are not causing harm to the body. Well, these are the types of people that if we're honest with ourselves, we are afraid to have come attend Cornerstone Bible Church. Oh, the, the Orange County white-collar engineer who has intellectual doubts about Christianity, oh, he's okay to attend Cornerstone Bible Church. He's okay to come and hear the gospel and be saved. But that notorious prostitute around downtown Fullerton, well, we're afraid of her. When she attends here, what will the world say? What will they say about Cornerstone Bible Church? But that ought not to be so. Jesus would want her to come too. The world will say, hey, did you, did you hear that Charlie, that two-faced crook, that guy, he's attending Cornerstone Bible Church. Did you hear about that? You know what we will say to them? You know what we will say to the world? We will say, yes, Charlie's been attending Cornerstone Bible Church, but he is not a member of Cornerstone Bible Church. We're just happy he's here to come and listen to the gospel because we want him to be saved. Did you hear that, brothers and sisters? He's attending our church, but he's not a member. We don't consider him a part of the family until he repents. But as long as he's not causing harm to the body, we want him to come and hear the gospel to be saved. It's important not just for us inside the church, it's important for our testimony to the world. It is important for the world to know who is a member and who is not a member. Sixthly and last, church membership is integral in the walk of the believer. In joining a church, you make a visible commitment to Christ and his people. You are committed to the people of God. Do you know what else is true? The people of God is committed to you. We are here to help each other on the way to heaven. We are committed to helping you in your walk, to love you, to serve you. We are committed to rebuke you if necessary, to lovingly speak the truth to you. We are committed to one another. In Hebrews 10, 24 to 25, the writer says, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Don't forsake the assembling. This refers to the gathered assembly of the people of God. I believe this refers 
to the Lord's Day worship of the corporate church. Yes, this refers to attending church services on Sunday. But I believe this passage goes merely beyond telling us to attend church services because the writer also commands us to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, to encourage one another. He commands us to have mutual exchange, mutual encouragement, mutual relational accountability. So when you sneak into church after the service has begun, sit in the back, and then leave before anybody else talks to you, you are not practicing the one another. Yes, come to church every Sunday. Pray with us. Sing with us. Worship God through the preaching of his word. But that is not enough. We must practice the one another's in the local church. Don't forsake the togetherness of the church. Don't forsake the fellowship of the church. Don't forsake the relationships of the church. You cannot practice the one another's of the New Testament. You cannot practice the unity of the New Testament. You cannot practice the accountability of the New Testament without local church membership. Well, someone will say, well, I don't have to practice the one another's with the local church because I'm a part of the universal church. Well, let's be real. I don't have accountability with a church in Australia. I have accountability with a local church in Fullerton. I don't practice the one another's with a church, with a church in Japan. I practice the one another's with a local church in Fullerton, Cornerstone Bible Church. As a Lone Ranger Christian, you may belong to the universal church, but I will tell you this, you cannot be accountable to the universal church. It is God's design that you are accountable to the local church. Then the writer says something very interesting about this. He says, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some. His point is, don't make it a habit to not meet. Don't make it a habit to neglect meeting together. Don't make it a habit to neglect practicing the one another's. Can I just share something from my personal life? When I was a resident physician, I was only able to attend church on average maybe once every four or six weeks. And the first time I missed church, it was very painful. And the second time, it was still very painful. And the third time, it's a little less painful. The fourth time, even less than that. And after a while, I went to church, and all of a sudden, God's word sounded foreign to me. God's people seemed different to me. I had grown distant. I had grown cold. I had missed church so much that it seemed almost, to be honest with you, at some points, just easier not to go. And at that point, it's a habit. When it's easier to not go than it is to go, it's a habit. And that's what the writer is saying. Don't make it a habit. You know what helped me? Well, besides the fact that I had a rock-solid biblical wife to keep me accountable, it was the local church membership. It was the membership of my local church. They reached out to me. They loved me. They called me. They spent time with me at times outside of Sundays. The local church membership got me through a difficult season in my walk where I was unable to attend church every Sunday. Brothers and sisters, we need each other. We need each other because of how deceitful sin can be. We need each other in the fight of faith. Don't try to do it alone. We need you, and you need us. It is no secret that the church has always loved C.S. Lewis. It's no secret that the church has always respected C.S. Lewis. But it is less well known that C.S. Lewis did not always love the church. C.S. Lewis did not always respect the church. In fact, after his conversion, 
Lewis, with his great intellect, found it very difficult to go to church. But after a time, even he realized that he needed to be committed. The church not only needed C.S. Lewis, C.S. Lewis needed the church. C.S. Lewis wrote in his book, God in the Dock, When I first became a Christian about 14 years ago, I thought that I could do it on my own by retiring to my rooms and reading theology, and I wouldn't go to the churches and gospel halls. I disliked very much their hymns, which I considered to be fifth-rate poems set to sixth-rate music. But as I went on, I saw the great merit of it. I came up against different people of quite different outlooks and different education, and then gradually my conceit just began peeling off. I realized that the hymns, which were just sixth-rate music, <laughs> I love how he throws that in there. I realized that the hymns were, nevertheless, being sung with devotion and benefit by an old saint in elastic side boots in the opposite pew. And then you realize that you aren't fit to clean those boots. It gets you out of your solitary conceit. In conclusion, I'd like to give a plea to all those who identify themselves as Christians, but who are not committed members of a local church. If local church membership was good enough for C.S. Lewis, it ought to be good enough for you. Perhaps you've been coming to Cornerstone Bible Church, attending regularly, and you haven't committed yourself to us. Well, I want to be the first to say that we want to commit ourselves to you. We want to commit ourselves in a covenant to love you, to serve you, to keep you accountable. We want to help you on your way to heaven. So if you're not committed, why not? What's holding you back? If you're committed to Christ, show it by being committed to his church. Well, at this point, we're going to have Francis come up and review our membership covenant. Thank you, Francis. All right, thanks, everybody. Thank you, Ben for taking us through the importance of church membership and how do I follow Ben Wanarko. So I'm going I'm to give it a try here. So Peter is going to be passing out the church uh, membership covenant. And just like you pointed out, Ben, um, why are we speaking to this? Um, you reminded us um, that church membership is, is not based on a contract, but it's based on a on a covenant, and that covenant is based on a commitment. It's based on a, a commitment that we have in our relationships, and that's the distinction that we have in this church. I thought that was a great way of explaining the way our body works, how this local body works at Cornerstone, that we have a relationship with one another, a binding, committed one to one another. And as the elders, we thought it would be appropriate uh, to remind ourselves of what we have covenanted uh, with one another, what commitments we have to one another. Uh, we share our union in Christ. We're a community of people united in him, and we want to help, help each other, right? We want to help each other, just as Ben mentioned. Uh, we need each other, and we do need assistance from one another on our way to heaven as we want to exalt Jesus Christ while we're here on this earth. And remember, that is our purpose, right, as a church to exalt Jesus Christ. How does that relate to what we do here as members? And that's why we have our, our membership covenant, because it explains that. It explains how we as members of this church at Cornerstone should be, how we should conduct ourselves in this local church as we seek to exalt him as we share our, our same faith, as we share our, our unity in Christ. This is how we believe this covenant. This is, these are the responsibilities. These are the commitments that we're making to one another as we try to serve and minister to one another as we honor the Lord. And I do want to mention that this covenant that you see here, um, if you've been a member with the Cornerstone for a period of time, um, that it has changed over time. 
um, that there's certain language that's changed, but um, ultimately the spirit of the document hasn't changed materially. Um, so what I want to do is I'll read this together, and I neglected to bring my own copy up, so I'm going to grab that. So what I want to do is read this together, and um, if we could all read it together, um, save for the verses, okay? So we're going we're gonna to start uh, the Cornerstone Bible Church Membership Covenant. Having been, having been brought by God's gracious mercy to embrace the gospel and the Lord Jesus Christ in salvation, the members of Cornerstone Bible Church do solemnly and joyfully covenant to walk together, united in Christ as one body to his glory. I therefore, in his perfect love and strength, sincerely agree. I will actively engage in the ministry pillars of our church as we regularly encourage each other in our Christian walks through the preaching of the word, praying to God with fervency, praising God with passion and progressing in evangelism and discipleship, that in brotherly and gospel love, I will faithfully warn, exhort, admonish, and forgive my fellow brothers and sisters as the occasion may require, that I will not, unless providentially hindered, forsake the assembling together, but will uphold the public gatherings of the worship of God with his people and the ordinances of his church, that I will promote and exercise my personal faith in Christ in the home for my benefit and the benefit of my family and friends, I will embrace the spiritual training of my children and those under my care for the salvation of their souls and the enjoyment of our Lord. Also, that I might joyfully submit, as appropriate, to the authority of my parents and respectfully honor them in obedience to Scripture and as an example of the character of Christ. That as a light in this world and as salt in the earth, I will seek divine aid to be enabled to deny all ungodliness and worldly lusts, walking in a manner worthy of the gospel, to which he has called us, that we might glorify God and win the souls of the lost, that I will strive for the purity and the propagation of the glorious gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, that I will cheerfully contribute of my personal and material resources according to that which God has given to me in order to maintain a faithful and biblical ministry among us to care for orphans, widows, and the poor, and to spread the gospel to the ends of the earth that the ultimate authority in every area of life is the word of God alone, by which I shall strive to live under, to the glory of the Lord of the word, that I will joyfully submit to the God-appointed elders, honoring them and holding them in the highest regard because of their work. Also, that I will submit to the other leaders and to the other members of this church for the sake of the well-being and unity of this body, that I recognize any unrepentant sin in my life displayed by a willful and continued refusal to repent after being biblically confronted, could potentially result in the withdrawal of my membership according to the biblical mandate and procedure set forth in Matthew 18, verses 1 to 18, as well as other scriptures. And that if the Lord should lead me to another church, that I will honor Christ by engaging the CBC elders to seek their counsel and shepherding care while in the process of making a God-honoring decision before leaving the church to unite with another fellowship where I can carry out the spirit of this covenant and the principles of God's word. So we have these covenants, we have these commitments, we have these relationships because ultimately we want to exalt Christ and we want to exalt him and we want to serve him and we want to serve and love one another. And so this is how we practice that love. This is how we practice our, our ministry, our responsibilities by affirming and, and practicing these commitments, and you see that there are many, there are many areas here that are important, um, and for our time, we don't have the time to go through all of them, but there are a few that um, I do want to highlight. Um, we will not go to any detail on, on these, but just I know that in your care groups that you're going to be spending time talking about uh, not only this teaching, but the covenant, and be able to have a, a deeper discussion there, but if I may, just taking time to, to go over a few sections here. Um, you know, there are a few sections here that speak to the importance of practicing the one another, as just as Ben had talked about, walking together, actively engaging in the ministry pillars of our church. You see that in the beginning, praying with one another, progressing in evangelism and discipleship, 
And then in the next session, you see that we're to be faithfully exhorting and admonishing one another. Galatians 6, we want to bear one another's burdens. And so these are the one another's that Ben was talking about, being committed to one another, being responsible for one another, encouraging one another with the truth of the gospel. We even heard that from Pastor Isaiah this morning, recognizing that in the gospel, we are living this reality that we are, are falling short of God's law, that we are failing every day in our sin, but that as we go to Christ and confess our sin, experience forgiveness, and live in repentance, uh, that there is help that we need from one another, that we need to encourage one another in the truth of, these go- in, in the, truth of the gospel by way of warning and exhorting, as we see here, admonishing and forgiving one another, our brothers and sisters, as required, that we have here in this local church, this ministry, to, to practice the one another's. So we want to be committed to these things. One thing we also wanted to note is that we cannot practice these things if we are not present. Ben had talked about that, that we're not forsaking the assembly So we wanted to be committed to this assembly of the saints, upholding the public gatherings of God with his people. And so, just as Ben mentioned, it's the worship service. That's specifically what Hebrews is is talking about. But also, we want to be present when the church gathers, when the church assembles, when the body assembles. And so that's main service, that's equipping hour, that's second hour, that's top Sundays, that's care group, that's small group, when believers gather. Just as Ben mentioned, it's more than just attending and leaving. It's not just coming and hearing a message and then leaving. It's about being engaged, interacting with one another so that you can know the burdens of your brothers and sisters and be known so you could share how your brothers and sisters can care for you. So you could find ways to serve your brothers and sisters. And you can't do that if you are not present when the body gathers. And we would say that it's just beyond the physical gathering, just being physically present at these formal gatherings. You're not able to serve your brothers and sisters if you're not present, if you're not engaged in their lives relationally, if you're not in their lives interacting with them. And we know that can take place physically, but just... There are, there's so many ways in this day and age where we can uh, connect and we can extend our love to one another. And so we want to do that by eagerly pursuing one another. How can we pray for one another if we're not able to know what we can pray about? We want to take advantage of every opportunity that we have to minister to one another. We want to be eager to find ways to find those opportunities to minister to one another, and we just can't if we're not present, if we're not relationally in one another's lives, and if we're not in each other's kitchens, so to speak. And I'll just share with you just something that kind of struck me this week, uh, earlier this week, um, and this is the context of the workplace, but I think it, the, the point is still relevant. Um, I had a, a coworker of mine pass away. Um, she was um, on my team. She was she was older. Um, she her name was Carol Carol Wallach. She passed away of cancer. She had uh, gone away on medical leave two months ago uh, to undergo chemotherapy, and she had been on leave before. And I thought that just like last time, that she would come back in a few months' time and that she'd be ready to go and, and continue working for us. Um, but this time was different, and her body was not able to, um, to, to complete the chemotherapy, and she passed. And what I learned was that um, I just was not around to know. I wasn't around to hear about the progress that she wasn't making. Um, the day that she left for medical leave, I took her in my office and I prayed for her. Um, she affirmed the gospel and we had joy. I had saw joy in her, in her, in her, in her face and her countenance and her confidence and her faith in the Lord. And um, 
that was a few months ago, and I had, I had just lost track. I had lost track of her and how well she was doing, and uh, my coworkers didn't, and they kept track, and I just um, was not able to continue connecting with her. I was not able to be present in her life. And so I realize again that my coworker is not part of this church, but I think that you see my point is that if we are not making those connections, if we are not interacting, if we're not engaged with one another, we're losing out. We're losing out on those opportunities to minister to one another because uh, we, that's what we need to do. We need to be involved. We need to be present. Um, and in this case, for my coworker, Carol, uh, it's not that she needed me individually. Um, she didn't need my prayers. She didn't need my encouragement. But that was just something that I lost out on. I lost out on that opportunity uh, to be a blessing, to extend my care for her, to express my uh, brotherly affection to her when um, she was doing poorly health-wise. And so even more so, we want, right, we want to be present for one another. And we're not able to if we're not here. If you're not here when the church gathers, if you're not here when the church meets, and if you're not making that, uh, making that pursuit, making that extension uh, to your brothers and sisters when you're not able to be physically present. So I think you see my point there. Um, there's also a mention, too, in the, in the covenant about church discipline. Um, I'd refer to that also in the teaching. And, you know, as we're committed to Christ and striving for purity in the church, uh, we do want to recognize and submit to this practice in Matthew 18 to restore an unrepentant brother when the occasion arises and that we're utilizing our church body and the very relationships, the exclusivity of our relationships here in this local body so that we're able to cultivate faithfulness, we're able to cultivate repentance. And I think that we were talking about this you know, a few weeks ago that uh, recently we have not you know, had the opportunity, uh, we haven't thankfully had to uh, withdraw anyone's membership um, recently, so that's, that's, that's a good thing, uh, but we do want to be willing to promote the purity and, and the integrity and the fidelity of our church and promote repentance and promote uh, confession of sin. And so, um, so those are some things that, that come out from this covenant, and there's just so much more that can be talked about, but those are some things that we wanted to highlight, that I wanted to highlight. And I know I'm already over time. And so just ultimately, um, we want to recommit ourselves to one another. We want to walk together in union in Christ, united in Christ. And we do want to take our relationships here seriously. And not for any other purpose than to come under the one purpose that we have, to exalt Jesus Christ, to express our, our same love for Jesus Christ. And... We have these different roles and, and responsibilities and commitments, and it's not, I think you see very clearly, it's not the agenda of the elders to make uh, life more burdensome or harder than it already is, but ultimately it's our agenda to, to, to exalt Jesus Christ, and we see that this is the best way that we can do that together through serving one another and providing accountability to one another. So by grace, we... Ask the Lord that he'll help us to do that. And thank you for um, just being able to, to review the covenant here. And um, I know that you'll be spending time in your care groups uh, to, to dive deeper um, into, the, into this teaching and into the covenant also. So thank you for your time. And let me just close in prayer and we'll end our second hour. Let's pray. Th dear Lord, thank you so much for this morning, what a blessed Lord's Day that we've been able to receive, just being able to, to hear your word preached once again. And why are we here the second hour? Lord, you've given us this opportunity uh, to recall um, as a church uh, what our purpose is. We want to exalt you. We want to um, 
edify one another. We want to encourage one another. Uh, and we're learning here now. We're, we're being educated on what it means to be a member. And ultimately, you've given us uh, different responsibilities here to carry out. Um, it's not for our glory, but it's, it's for you. We want to exalt you. We want to promote uh, the, the message of the gospel to the ends of the earth. And you've given us uh, this local body uh, to practice one another's, to, to practice um, providing accountability, to, pr to, pr to provide service, to provide care, to provide prayer, to provide mutual encouragement. And I just pray, Lord, that um, from what we've heard, that we would take very seriously um, the priority of, of membership, um, that we would come under uh, the leadership of those who are um, leading us, that have oversight over us, um, that we would make it easy for our leaders uh, to care for us and, and to minister to us. And we would make use of the resources and, and the time and the energy that you provided us um, so that we can bless one another and we could be a blessing here in this church. So uh, we just want to thank you, Lord, and we pray for the time ahead um, to discuss these things more in greater detail in care group. And make you, may you make us more effective members. Help us to be engaged in loving one another and involved in one another's lives, present so that we can actively receive ministry and we can glorify your name. Lord, we submit ourselves to you and we pray for these things, that you would do this work in our church. In Jesus Christ's name, amen.